people and the willingness of others to condone bureaucratic processes that avoided accountability, we let these customers down. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Well, the ECB goes below zero to try to wake up the economy. GM fires 15 executives over its ignition scandal, as you heard there in our news. Also, mainland media outlets slam Apple and Microsoft and JD.com, the number two e-commerce site in China, rises to a new record in New York. We'll also be taking a look at Wall Street generally, where the Dow and the S&P set some new all-time highs. But the story of the day appears to be the ECB and its chief, Mario Draghi. We decided on a combination of measures to provide additional monetary policy accommodation and to support lending to the real economy. So, among other things, what did they do? The rate on the deposit facility was lowered by 10 basis points to minus 0.10%. So the ECB is the first major central bank to use a negative rate. Policymakers also lowered the benchmark rate to 0.15% from 0.25. And Mr. Draghi was unusually candid when he spoke to many of you out there, many of you savers, who don't like rates at zero. We think it's a significant package. Uh, Are we finished? The answer is no. The concerns of the savers should be taken very seriously. When we say savers here, we should have clear in mind, these are people who have saved most of their lives to provide for their retirement. These are people who signed uh, policy, insurance policies with insurance companies, and they see the value of these insurance policies going down. So these concerns are serious. And here the answer is that the interest rates will go up, will go up when the recovery will come back, when growth will come back. The recovery isn't finished. The recovery is low. As I've said many times, it's fragile, it's uneven, but it's there. We'll discuss this and more with our guests this morning. Among them, we'll be speaking with James Roy of China Market Research on the slackened pace of Hong Kong's retail sales and just generally business in China these days. Also, we'll be talking to sports contributor Danny Hicks about the upcoming World Cup in Brazil. On Wall Street, major indices set records and the Russell 2000 rallied to its highest level since April. Uh, Twitter and Amazon up more than 3%, and China's JD.com was up more than 5% at 2578. By the way, that is up a third now, a little bit more than that, actually up 36% since it went public just a short time ago. Hedge fund manager David Tepper expressed renewed confidence in U.S. equities, and he is widely followed. And a lot of traders cited Mr. Tepper's comments and Mario Draghi. This package includes further reductions in the key ECB interest rates, targeted longer-term refinancing operations, preparatory work related to outright purchases of asset-backed securities, and a prolongation of the fixed-rate full allotment tender procedures. 
So the S&P 500 in the end was up 0.7% at 1940. The Dow gained 98 points to 16,836. And the Russell 2000 of smaller companies was up 2%. And the yield on the 10-year Treasury down a couple of basis points to 2.58%. So much of this we'll get to a little bit later in our discussion with our analysts. Also, markets in Europe were mostly higher. The DAX and the CAC were up uh, pretty nicely. Uh, The CAC up more than 1%. But the FTSE 100 in London was slightly lower, down 5 points at 68.13%. Well, let's take a look at some other top stories this morning. Uh, GM found that in an internal investigation, it found what it called a pattern of incompetence and neglect in its failure to recall defective cars. CEO Mary Barra said 15 employees had been fired, most of them in senior and executive roles. In this situation was a pattern of incompetence and neglect. Repeatedly, individuals failed to disclose critical pieces of information that could have fundamentally changed the lives of those impacted by the faulty ignition switch. So that's the uh, CEO, Mary Barra. Despite these findings, the report did not tie her or any of the top lieutenants to the recall delay that GM has uh, linked to 13 deaths and 47 crashes. She didn't say who the discharged employees were, nor which departments they worked in. She said only that more than 50% of those fired were top executives. Well, let's say good morning now to James Roy, Associate Principal for China Market Research at CMR. I guess we'll get to uh, to James in just a moment, but let's go first to Hans Getty, Head of Investment Asia at Bank Internationale à Luxembourg, SA. Hans, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, so quite interesting. Um, interested to see what your feeling is about the mood. Uh, quite a radical step by the European Central Bank. Yes, uh, you can say that. I think a lot of uh, expectations were already priced in, uh, but I think the uh, ECB certainly has not disappointed. I think they've done at least as much or if not more than the market expected, and uh, we'll see how it, out, how it plays out in the real world. I think uh, negative interest rates on deposits were priced in, but the... Um, you know, the LTRO uh, funding for lending program, that was something of a surprise. And something along the lines of what could be looked at as QE down the road, does that, uh, does that look likely? Uh, yes, it is. Um, of course, they have, as uh, Draghi said, they have more tools in their, at their disposal to, uh, to do more. QE is a, definitely um, an option if these measures that were just introduced or going to be introduced just now don't work and don't have the desired effect, yes. And I think the uh, purchases, if there are asset purchases, will be in asset-backed securities probably rather than government securities. I ask that because I think a lot of people out there just think that central banks all over the world have been printing money willy-nilly. But actually, in Europe, it's been a different story. The ECB has reduced the size of its balance sheet over the past uh, year or two, which runs a little contrary, I guess, to what the um, conventional wisdom is. Uh, But does this mean that in any way in the future they will be expanding and, and thus printing money? You're absolutely right. I mean, if you uh, compare the ECB with the Fed or or the Bank of Japan, even better, uh, the balance sheet, the ECB balance sheet has actually contracted last year. And as a result, the ECB has fallen behind the curve in a a way. And there seems to be an intention here to catch up. And uh, it's, it's, you know, the, the result has been 
that inflation has declined even more, that uh, the the recovery in Europe um, has slowed down. So the ECB saw the need for some bold action, and that's what we're seeing now. So does this really encourage the banks to get the money out there, to loan the money and not to buy government bonds? Because if you look at the yields on government bonds from places like Spain to elsewhere in Europe, they've dropped a lot, mainly, I guess, because the banks have been buying so many bonds instead of loaning out the money. Well, that's exactly it. And I think that's what uh, negative deposit rates uh, are trying to achieve. Also targeted uh, LTROs for banks to, who are willing to lend to the uh, to the private sector, uh, it remains to be seen. I mean, just uh, to give you an example of uh, a possible unintended consequence of uh, negative deposit rates, I mean, if the banks hold deposits with the ECB and get charged, there's a possibility that banks are saying, well, we're going to pass it on to our clients. And if the clients have to pay, that is actually deflationary because you would actually take purchasing power out of the economy. So all I'm saying, I'm not saying this is the logical outcome, but what I'm saying is that we are in uncharted territory and we have unintended consequences, which we don't see right now. Yeah, let's hope those consequences aren't uh, dire. Uh, you've got a lot of bears out there. But I think you'd have to say that the mood is is somewhat better these days. Uh, I highlighted uh, you know, the ECB move and comments by David Tepper, a hedge fund manager that's widely followed. Uh, if you look at Wall Street, they actually gained more on his comments than they did on the ECB. As you said, a lot of that was priced in. And what he said was, look, you know, the worries of about a month ago, some of them have cleared. Uh, Ukraine seems a, a much more um, comfortable outcome than what we feared. And the ECB didn't disappoint. It actually delivered. Well, that's right. Uh, we remain constructive for equities, especially as an asset class. Um, you mentioned bonds earlier on, how low yields are. Uh, there's a global chase for yield. So equities are offering a, an extremely attractive alternative to bonds. Uh, in the United States, for instance, you have an earnings yield of between 6 and 7%, and that compares to a 10-year bond yield of 26 So equities are still the place to be. And uh, in our case at BIL, uh, we overweight European equities, especially cyclicals, which we have been doing uh, for the past year, more or less. And uh, that, that remains unchanged. So another um, central banker overnight, Narayan Kocher-Lakota in the United States, one of the Fed presidents, uh, said that rates would stay low for a long time. Does that mean that you would continue to buy equities and uh, and perhaps um, feel comfortable that um, they still have time to run? Uh, absolutely. You see, uh, the Fed is uh, very adamant about uh, keeping rates low uh, because they see slack in the labor market, which may or may not be there, but uh, the chances are that the Fed is actually easier for much longer than they should be. And that is supportive of equities. So we don't see a reason for a bigger pullback in equities as long as you have an expanding economy and an accommodating uh, Fed. Yes, let's take a look at Asian markets and uh, what you like out here. Um, one of the things you notice these days is the renminbi continuing to, to fall. Um, one, I guess I would put it to you, um, is, that, is that good for Hong Kong? Well, yeah, it, it could be. Um, I would say that China obviously has, uh, you know, has been behind the move of the, for, for a lower renminbi. I think that's uh, you know, part and parcel of the economic strategy because the economy has been slowing down, although things are looking a little bit better, have been looking a bit uh, better lately. Uh, overall, we are quite constructive on, on Chinese equities because, I mean, if you look at it, uh, so much bad news has been 
priced in already and the valuations are low. So we think there's very little downside risk in, um, in Chinese equities. I think there's a positive fallout for Hong Kong as well. Is there any spark that you see that triggers this? Because a lot of people have been buying because there's value there. They're so cheap for a long time and the money's turned out to be dead money. Valuations at a very low level for a very long time, and uh, you know sometimes you need a spark or as you you know or, or a catalyst. It's hard to see where they should uh, be coming from, but um, uh, you know there's still a possibility that uh, you know the, the economic rebalancing go, goes uh, relatively smoothly without a big slowdown. And there's always the possibility, of course, that uh, the People's Bank of China may do more in terms of easing. I think there's still a good chance of uh, RRA cut, uh, a triple R cut, uh, sometime uh, later, probably this quarter or next quarter. Is the weaker yen uh, or yuan uh, helping China's competitiveness? Is it showing up in increased exports? Yes, of course it uh, it, it helps. I'm not I'm not quite sure whether uh, you know it's weak enough to to make a huge difference, but it, it's certainly uh, a fact that that provides a tailwind. Okay, so let's kind of wrap up on this notion uh, that seems the mood is not too bad. What would your single best investment idea be at the moment? Well, we remain uh, long equities, as I mentioned. Uh, we think that uh, Europe is at the top uh, of the list. But uh, don't forget Japan also. There's a lot of uh, good things going on in Japan as well. We have a, a central bank which is which stands ready to act if, um, you know, if there's a danger that the inflation target is not achieved or anything. So we have actually Kuroda put under the Japanese market. We have now a Draghi put under the European market, and we have a, a Yellen put under the U.S. market. So equities in general remain our best bet, and among those, I would think, uh, cyclicals in Europe. Okay, Hans, thanks very much for joining us uh, here on Money for Nothing. That is Hans Gerti, and uh, Hans joins us from the Banque Internationale Luxembourg. Well, the time is now about 17 minutes after eight. First day back after a long holiday. I can tell you about uh, some other headlines this morning. Vietnam accusing China of continuing to ram its boats in uh, disputed waters. And it has aired a video that it says shows Chinese vessels plowing into one of his fishing boats uh, before it sank back on May 26th. Also, IBM has apparently won a big contract for Shanghai Airport. It's a deal that will help planes depart on time. And we wanted to look at falling retail sales, um, Hong Kong retail sales in April dropping the, the most or the sharpest in, in five years. Consumption fell 9.8% year on year to 38.8 billion. What does it mean? We're joined by James Roy, associate principal at China Market Research Group. James, good morning. Good morning. Is this a big shift in consumer behavior from visiting mainlanders? Well, so it's a few things. Uh, it's partly that um, an issue that, that's really caused, that's affected the drop as well, has been about this time last year, or in April last year, there was a lot, a big uptick in buying of, uh, of gold and in jewelry, uh, and especially uh, in Hong Kong. So it did create a high base effect. Um, but, you know, in addition to that, you're right, you are seeing some differences in consumer behavior where they're choosing to travel. Um, there's an increase, you know, more than 100 million people from China are, are traveling abroad now. Uh, and, you know, increasingly, many of them have been to Hong Kong before, and they're looking for new experiences. And the focus when they do travel is becoming less and less about strictly, uh, you know, shopping. It used to be very much shopping-oriented trips. You're seeing much more uh, experiential trips 
uh, with shopping included on them as well. But uh, increasingly, people are looking to really have sort of a good trip, uh, have a new experience and go somewhere, you know, like Europe or somewhere else in Asia, uh, you know, and take a lot of pictures and then do some shopping towards the last few days. So does that fall under services spending rather than, um, say, retail sales uh, in, in the statistics? Well, it affects retail sales, um, you know, where they do go because there still is shopping there. You'll still see plenty of shopping, for example, in Paris and places in Europe. Um, and then I think you see, you see people, uh, you know, you see really long lines, for example, in European airports for the uh, for the tax rebates that are offered there. They're very attractive. Are you hearing that mainlanders are going less and less to Hong Kong because of political reasons or, let's say, sociological concerns that they feel that people don't want them here? Well, yes, you do see, uh, you know, a, a response to, uh, you know, reactions in Hong Kong about, uh, you know, the presence of so many mainland visitors. And there is, uh, you know, a, a, a perception that there is a, of a somewhat hostile environment there uh, towards, uh, towards mainlanders. And you see things like the proposed policy of, you know, reducing the number of mainland visitors by 20%. Uh, and and, and there, there's a sense that, okay, well, if I, you know, they're, may as well go somewhere else. But I think, you know, in addition to that, that's not really the sole reason. I think you also have people who are becoming more seasoned travelers. They've been to Hong Kong many times, and and they're looking to go uh, to more different places uh, and not just to shop. How much of an impact is there on spending by mainlanders of the anti-corruption move or the, you know, the corruption uh, drive? Well, versus this time last year, that's uh, you know, there, there's a similar, you know, there's a similar impact. So I don't think that accounts for the change at this point. Um, you know, they, uh, that, that, that's really definitely dampened sales uh, on the mainland. Um, you know, it's, but still there, there had been uh, decent sales in places like Hong Kong and, and Macau. Um, but, you know, so, so the, the people, I think you, you have more, uh, more shopping in, uh, in places uh, like like Europe, as I said, um, where you, you there there are sort of attractive uh, you know uh, rebates at the uh, at the airports. One of the other items out in the last day, uh, Prada missing profit estimates, uh, income down twenty four percent. Is it apparent uh, that mainlanders, as part of what your thesis has been, that they're spending less on luxury and more on having fun? Uh, that's definitely true. Uh, you know, we we find in a, you know in our interviews with consumers that people are, uh, you know, uh, less they're sa- they're being they're less likely to save up, uh, you know, a number of months of salary just to buy you know a, a, a you know a, a highly prized luxury item, and much more likely to be spending that mo- that money on as you say having fun. It could be that could be travel, that could be uh, that could be dining out, that could be a lot of different. Uh, other activities, but there's just sort of a wider array of uh, things that people are aspiring to uh, to do with their lives. They're more investing more in quality of life rather than sort of accumulating, um, you know, luxury goods. You survey lots of people and companies. Uh, what are some other top trends that you're spotting? Well, uh, you know, so you, so again, uh, there there's there's much more leisure spending, um, you know, in China. Uh, you are seeing people uh, starting to save a little bit more of their money because of the weakening economy. Um, however, uh, you know, um, you know the groups that uh, to look out for that are still uh, that are still spending are going to be uh, younger women, women under the age of, uh, uh, of of 35. They are the most consistently the most optimistic group. 
um, that we have. Uh, men, on the other hand, um, are, are getting a little bit more pessimistic. Uh, and so you're really going to be looking to, uh, to, uh, to, to invest in areas that are, are plays uh, towards, uh, towards Chinese women. Has interest in property slowed down? Uh, yes, you have. You know, so the property market. I think you see a lot of people investing in property, seeing uh, much lower increases. Uh, you know, in uh, in for, for example, housing price uh, housing prices, especially in larger cities. Uh, so there's a lot less uh, interest in that, and there's also increased for people who own multiple properties. There's increased uh, capital gains taxes now uh, in in cities like Shanghai. Um, so you see a lot of of, uh, of 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 landowners focusing, for example, on you know increasing rents rather than uh, rather than buying more properties. Yeah. Okay, James. Uh, always a pleasure to talk with you guys. Uh, say hello to Sean there and and your other colleagues, and we'll we'll speak again. Thanks, Brian. James Roy, associate principal, China Market Research Group, joining us on the line from Shanghai. This is Money for Nothing at twenty four minutes past eight o'clock. few other interesting headlines. Um, Prada, we mentioned that. Uh, they've been cut to reduce at CIMB. I guess that means don't buy the stock. Uh, Citic Bank um, won't bar BBVA from investing in rivals. And looking just elsewhere, high-yield dim sum bonds are going to outperform as yields rise, according to HSBC. And as we mentioned, uh, IBM inking a deal with the airport in Shanghai. Well, it's time to take a look at football. The World Cup starts next week in Brazil. Throughout the build-up, the event has uh, remained in controversy, though, just a, even le- a little bit under a week now to go, and it doesn't appear that that is abating. Danny Hicks of AFP joins us to take a look. Danny, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Welcome back. Yes, it's great to be back. You know, we have lots of opportunities to show our ignorance here on the program, <laughs> but I think I have a unique opportunity this morning in talking about uh, the World Cup. Uh, but these... These controversies don't seem to be abating, um, not yeah, only with Brazil, but also Qatar. Yeah, as, as, as a sports fan, as a football fan, you know, you just want the, the event to kick off now, and it will do next Thursday, and by this time next week, we'll have had the first game. But, uh, yeah, uh, the, the controversy over Qatar, uh, the 2022 World Cup, has reared its ugly head again this week. We've got the, uh, the, the, the revelations that the, the, the stadium for the opening game in Sao Paulo between Brazil and Croatia next week, that's still not finished with only a week to go. Um, and that's uh, on top of sort of civil unrest and protests and we've got tube strikes in Sao Paulo and, and all sorts of things going on in Brazil. People who are not happy at the money that's been spent on the World Cup. But coming back to Qatar, which is just the, the thing that is going to cast a shadow over this whole event, um, Michel Platini, the head of uh, UEFA, the European uh, governing body last night, has come out and uh, in an interview with L'Equipe and said that there should be a revote uh, if uh, Qatar are found to be guilty of corruption in, in the bid process. Um, he's the most senior person in football to, to, uh, to go down this road and he actually voted for Qatar um, during the whole process. But Looking at the, you know, everybody's saying, well, you can't really strip Qatar of it. The, the money they've invested will open up a legal minefield and all that. Well, we're a business program. So just have a look at the numbers a little bit. Uh, what, what does Qatar stand to lose financially if the World Cup is taken away from them? Well, it turns out it's not a lot. Um, sure, they're going to build 12 stadiums, but they haven't started them yet. They've done a bit of ground clearing work. That's four to five billion dollars. 
they will not go ahead should, should Qatar uh, be stripped of the World Cup. There's a lot of infrastructure projects going on there. Anybody who travels to the Middle East and goes through Qatar will see this, roads, railways. They would have gone ahead anyway. That's part of Qatar's grand plan. Um, all that the World Cup did was put a, was put a deadline on those projects to, to be finished in time for the World Cup. Um, you know, you're talking about rail systems costing 60 or $100 billion. They will still go ahead. Building of hotel rooms. Qatar wants to be a resort, a destination Allah, Abu Dhabi and Dubai, um, they will still go ahead. But is Qatar it a, can afford it. Sure, but is it a big slam to FIFA's rep? It would be a huge slam to FIFA's re- reputation. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the whole bid process in the first place when they had the, the 2018 and 22 World Cup votes on the same day was... was uh, open to corruption straight away because uh, of countries colluding and saying, well, if you scratch my back and vote for this country for 2018, we'll vote for this country for 2022. And that's without the revelations, all the money that appears to have changed hands with uh, the disgraced Mohammed bin Hammam, uh, the Qatari who was the head of the Asian football uh, uh, conference uh, and uh, the head of Asian football has now been banned for football for life for corruption it now appears if we believe what we read in the Sunday Times that he made payments amounting to millions of dollars to various members of the FIFA uh, voting committee to to garner votes for for Qatar and Platini and France are, are embroiled in this as well because Qatar invests heavily in France it owns Paris Saint Germain football club and Michel Platini's son uh, was made CEO of a Qatari sportswear company, inv- uh, a state-owned sportswear company, after Qatar won the uh, 2022 vote. So it seems like the people in FIFA are getting the wagons in the circle a little bit here and preparing for the worst. OK, let's go to Brazil, since that's uh, at hand. Uh, what happens if the stadia aren't finished? Well, <laughs> there, there is no plan B, let's put it that way. The, 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 the fixtures are fixed now. Uh, maybe it's going to be a few people with a ticket are not going to get their seats. I mean... I'm, I'm sure they're working hell for leather at the moment to, to get them finished. It, it, you know, but we're hearing things like one of the stadiums in Curitiba, they've only just had the seats delivered from Germany because there was a mix-up with the orders, and they're frantically trying to trying to screw in 26,000 bucket seats into the stadium. Um, you, one hopes that uh, with this rush on that it be, it becomes safe because there have been a lot of scandals and controversies and tragedies at stadiums. Oh. Well, the, the stadium in Sao Paulo had another test event last week with there were 37,000 people there, but the, the previous one a couple of weeks before was a bit of a farce because it rained and the roof was leaking and, you know, in a brand new stadium, this is not the way to go. So I'm just hoping and praying for, for football's sake that we have a great tournament on the pitch. Yeah. We can put all the controversy aside because that's going to rumble on anyway. So and, as you uh, said, we're, we're a money program, so we do talk about some of the, yeah. uh, some of the money issues and the controversies, but uh, let's get uh, down to brass tacks now. Who is going to win. I'll give you 30 seconds to tell me why. Well, I'd love to see Brazil win on their own tournament. They are consistently the best team in the World Cup. They play attractive football. They will have huge following at home. Everybody loves Brazil. But if they don't, I think it's going to be another South American company, okay. uh, country. Could be Argentina. All right, Danny, thanks very much. Danny Hicks, Sports Direct AFP. We'll be back in just a moment to wrap things up. Buyers and sellers dealing with vehicles before first registration should follow the law. Traders should publish the retail price list approved by customs so that buyers can calculate the correct amount of tax to be paid. Before signing, buyers should make sure the same price and tax information is stated on the contract and vehicle first registration application. If in doubt, call the customs or the transport department hotlines. You can also visit their websites or install the relevant app. 
Markets are moving higher this morning. In Australia, we're up 24 points. Uh, the Nikkei's up 35 points. That's a quarter of a percent. Good feed in from both Europe and the United States. Weather today, well, it looks like cloudy skies with some showers and isolated thunderstorms. Maximum temperature about 32, 32 Celsius, about 90 Fahrenheit. The outlook, showers tomorrow, more showers the next few days. The news is coming up next. The news with Samantha Butler. The Prime Minister of Britain, David Cameron, and President Francois Hollande of France have met President Putin face-to-face for the first time since the annexation of Crimea to convey their concern about Russia's actions in Ukraine. Mr Putin had dinner with the French President, who then had a separate meal with President Obama, as the US and Russian leaders have not agreed to meet. The BBC's Christian Fraser reports from Paris. David Cameron has